Would you please turn in God's Word to John chapter 15. Today we're going to be considering verses 18 through 27. And this sermon comes on the heels of an exposition on the Beatitudes that we've been doing in our church. And it sort of reinforces, if you will, Jesus' outlook on what it's like to live in this world. Of course, we know that he's admonished us to, to be meek and to um, inherit the earth and to uh, act in a way that goes counter to what it is that we have in our flesh and what even our inclinations are as we pursue life in this world. In this sermon, or this text, uh, he describes the acute response of the world to our interactions with it. What we're going to see is we're going to see three things in this text. We're going to see the reality of the world's hatred, the reason for the world's hatred, and then our and God's response to the world's hatred. The reality, the reason, and the response of the world's hatred. And with that in mind, let us read now God's word, John chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But in all these things, they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us this, your word, to guide us, to lead us in godliness, to compel us as those who are in the citizen, have the citizenship of heaven to life as loyal citizens of that place. We ask, O oh Lord, that as we consider this text, that you would teach us from it, that you would prepare our hearts to be confronted by it and conformed to Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. A servant is not greater than his master. That's the punchline of what Jesus is saying. 
If you're going to follow a master, you cannot be greater than him. What's interesting about this text is, is sort of where it falls in John's gospel. If you read just right before our verse, he says this in, chapter, in verse 17, These things I command you that you love one another. He says that he chose us out of the world. We did not choose him. And then he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Then immediately he talks about the world's hatred. So Jesus is giving this this talk, as it were, to people that he wants to love one another because they are going to experience hatred. And then he goes on to say this, At the very first verse of chapter 16, I have said all these things, that is, love one another, and the world is going to hate you, and you can't be greater than your master. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Interesting. Jesus tells us that we ought to love one another, And understand that if we're going to follow in his footsteps, as his servants, we cannot do anything but emulate him. We can't be greater than him, to use his words. And he tells us that the reason he's saying this to us is so that we wouldn't fall away. So brothers and sisters, as we approach this text today, let's keep those bookends in mind. We ought to love one another We can't be greater than our master, and we need to know these things so that we won't fall away. Now, the first thing that the text tells us is that there is such a thing as the world's hatred. The world's hatred is real. We know this because uh, Jesus tells us right there in verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hates you. And he goes on to say that because you are not of the world, that's the reason why people hate you. That's the reason why the world hates you. You know, it's interesting. Jesus talks about being in the, in the vine, to be grafted into the vine. Now, that image we think of as as Christians, is if you're rooted in the vine, then you've got your roots deep, and you know that Jesus is, 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 is looking out for you, that you are safe. Well, you remember what Jesus said about the vine dresser, right? Jesus says the vine dresser is walking through the vineyard, and what he's looking for is branches that are bearing fruit and branches that don't bear fruit. And so the branches that bear fruit are the ones that are really grafted into the vine, that have set their roots deep and are drinking of the lifeblood, as it were, of the soil and the vine into which they've been grafted. But there are other ones that need to be pruned off and thrown into the fire. A servant cannot be greater than his master. If you think about that, uh, that uh, metaphor, if you will, of the vine dresser, it's to say Jesus is our master. 
unless we are rooted in him and his example, then we're like those vines that need to be cut off, pruned away, and thrown into the fire. Well, what was Jesus' example? What does it mean to not be able to be greater than your master? Well, this is a pretty easy thing to think about, right? You, you guys know if you've been a boss or a parent or uh, certainly these readers would have understood servants and slaves and masters and all of that. The one who's the master gets to set the expectations. What is Jesus' expectation of his people? He tells us a couple of things. He says, well, first of all, if you're going to be like me, you have to follow me. In another place, he says, if you're going to inherit eternal life, if you're going to follow Christ, you know the first thing you have to do? You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up a cross, and you have to follow me. He tells the rich young ruler, give away everything you have. Then come follow me. A servant cannot be greater than his master. So it's a tough word that if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to experience some of what Jesus experienced. Denying ourselves, taking up a cross, obedience when we don't feel like it. Remember back to the Beatitude sermons. Acting in ways that go contrary to our flesh. That's what's required of us if we're going to follow our master. Of course, we know from Ephesians chapter 6 that following our master is participating in the master's fight. Jesus is uh, the head of the spear, as it were, of the spiritual battle in the heavenly places. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, we are going to participate in that battle. The reality of the world's hatred. In verse 21 and through 25, we we see the reason for the world's hatred because it's not enough just to know, okay, if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to be like Jesus. Jesus was mistreated. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I'm supposed to deny myself, take up my cross. But there's a reason for all of this. What is that reason? Verse 21. But in all these things, they will do to you on account of my name, because they did not know him who sent me. And Jesus says twice, If I didn't come and show them all of these things, they wouldn't even be guilty of sin. What? If Jesus didn't, wasn't present and didn't make himself known, he's saying they wouldn't even be guilty. We're getting at the reason for the world's hatred. It's because they hated Jesus. Where else do we see this theme of, of, uh, of being guilty because you have enough information? How about Romans chapter 1? Paul tells us this. He says it even sharper than Jesus says it. He says, you know what? God's made himself clearly known by what has been made, by creation itself. And he's made himself so clearly known that it renders every human being without excuse. 
Evidently, God has made himself known, not only in the person of Christ, but in creation itself. So much so that at the very least, the entire world knows that there is somebody more powerful than them and that they owe their allegiance to him. And Paul says, therefore, they are without excuse. If we're not careful, brothers and sisters, we tend to think about the gospel as a um, the barriers to the gospel, if you will, as an information problem, don't we? We think things like, well, if we just said it nicer, or we uh, we packaged the gospel in a way that people could really understand. Or young people need it this way and older people need it that way. Or those people over there need it this way and we need it that way. Well, to be sure, we ought to winsomely approach the world with the gospel. But that is not the problem that the gospel addresses. Because Paul tells us that the the problem that humanity has is not an information problem. Remember? There's no excuse. The problem is a moral problem. The world hates us, hates you and me, not because they don't know right from wrong. It's that they do know all that they need to know to bow the knee to Christ, but they don't want to. It is a moral problem, brothers and sisters. Well, what do we do with this? We're trying to understand the reason for the world's hatred. Now, doesn't it seem more evident than ever in our lifetimes that that's a true statement? It's like the entire world has known about Jesus for a long, long time. And even if we give a little bit of room for uh, even the people that we know in our circles, the gospel has been present in our culture, in our families, in our friendships for a long, long time. And what we see is not a renewal of the culture, but we see increasing opposition to Christ. Why? Because, as Paul says, the world wants to suppress the knowledge of God in unrighteousness. Okay, That's the reason that the world is going to hate all things that oppose the world. Where else do we see this? Paul also tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being condemned. But to we who are being saved, it is the righteousness of God. You know what he's saying? He's saying you got the same message coming at two groups of people. For one group of people, it's utter foolishness. Wait a minute. There was this rabbi so many years ago in this little tiny place in the world who saved the entire human race by his, um, by his sacrificial death for all those who would cling to him by faith. Really? Mm, I don't think so. That's one reaction. Another reaction that falls on ears in the same, from the same message is that we believe it's the power of God unto righteousness 
And so we hear the gospel, and our friend over here who shakes his fist at God and says, that's foolishness. We say, praise the Lord, because I know that I need a Savior. I know that I need the cross. And praise the Lord that that rabbi so many years ago came and died for my sins. The message of the cross is foolishness to the world. That's the reason for the world's hatred. And then I love the way Jesus ends this little passage here. He says this in verse 26 as we talk about the response to the world's hatred. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning You know, if we were to sort of leave with, okay, yes, it's real that the world hates God and therefore hates his people. Remember, a servant cannot be greater than his master. So if the world hates the master, it's going to hate the people that want to follow the master. If we left with, okay, that's real. And, okay, now we can understand the reason that there really is a cosmic battle at place in the heavenly places for truth itself and for the souls of men and women. Then we'd say, okay, well, great. It's real. We know the reason. But, wow, that sounds like a tough word. Is that it? We just take up our cross and Follow Jesus and hope to get across the finish line. No. Jesus says this. He says he's going to give us a helper. And he says that helper is going to bear witness about him. You may ask yourself, to whom is this helper bearing witness? Is it to the world that we've already said has enough witnesses but suppresses the truth in its unrighteousness? No. He's bearing witness to you. And He's bearing witness to me. Why? It's not all that easy to take up your cross, brothers and sisters, and deny yourself and follow Christ. It is not easy to be a servant of the Master. And so God in His grace not only calls us to allegiance to Him, and to, uh, and to belief and faith in Christ. But He gives us His Spirit to bear witness along the way. Some of you may have seen a, a movie called Facing the Giants. My favorite scene of this movie is uh, when the coach is trying to convince this kid that he can go farther than he thinks he can. Okay? So he... Uh, He has one of these big kids, like a linebacker guy. He straps this little kid on him. And the idea is you're supposed to carry the kid as far as you can. It's like an endurance test, right? And the coach is trying to teach these guys that they have more in them than they think. And so maybe the kid thinks he can go 10 yards with this other kid on his back. And the coach says, well, hold on a minute. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put a blindfold on you. So you can't see where you're going. But I'll be here with you, and the scene is pretty cool. You should watch it if you have a chance. The coach is sitting there by the kid. He says, okay, go. And the kid starts going down the field. Right? He's going down the field. 
All right, remember, he thinks he can get maybe 10 yards or so. Well, he pretty quickly surpasses 10 yards. The coach is right there with him saying, you got it. Keep going. You can go farther. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep going. You're almost there. You're almost there. You're almost there. And finally, the kid just falls down in exhaustion, like, let's say, 30 yards, three times as long as he thinks he can go. What a wonderful picture of what God is doing for you and me, brothers and sisters, when he gives us his helper. Because doesn't it feel so much like we have a blindfold on? We thought it was going to go this way. Nope, didn't go that way. Uh, We thought that we'd have more influence over the culture, politics, our families, uh, our friends, our relationships. Nope, didn't go that way. Man, I don't know about this. Maybe this is harder than I want it to be. And God, the Holy Spirit, is right there cheering you and me on, saying, no, keep going, brother. This is real. This is real. They hate you. You're finding opposition because they hate me. Keep going. You're going to make it. Don't lose heart. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness to you and to me about the reality of Christ. And he says this, that the, uh, the truth, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, that is Christ and his example, and us needing to follow in the Master's way. Verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. A servant cannot be greater than his master. But you know what the flip side of that is in this passage right here, verse 27? You also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. It's as if Jesus is saying, a servant cannot be greater than his master. But you know what? In the way God's economy works, a servant is not lesser than his master either. God the Holy Spirit has borne witness to you, put faith in you, called you unto Christ, and given you eternal life. It's super hard, and it's not for the weak of heart, but God the Holy Spirit gives you everything that you need to make it all the way. And then he also gives us the privilege of bearing that same witness to the world around us. So we who are, who are weak and who are unable to muster the strength to endure yet again, God says, hear my spirit. Be encouraged. And you know what? Part of being like the master is you bear witness too. How do we bear witness? Well, I think we bear witness by enduring this opposition and what Jesus calls the world's hatred, with a sense of grace and determination that is like Jesus did it. Remember Peter, my favorite? I, I'm, I think like if I were a disciple, I'd be Peter. Kind of headstrong and sometimes acts too fast. Peter cuts off a guy's ear, right? Ah, Jesus, I'm not going to let them take you. Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. This isn't how this works. 
I'm supposed to go with these guys, this guy that's betraying me, because I'm on a mission that's different than the one you think. Follow in Jesus' steps. Be like him. Reflect on the Beatitudes. We're after humble, determined allegiance to Christ, our Master. Now, as we approach the world, as we understand what it is to be a Christian in today's world, I think we ought to be encouraged that we are not the first ones to experience opposition. Just read Hebrews chapter 11. This guy said to shut the mouths of lions. He had to be burned alive. Oh, come on. Paul calls what we're going through light momentary affliction. Okay? As we approach the world, we ought to approach it as people with the right glasses on. The world hates the church because it hates Jesus. It's not a moral, it's not a information problem, it's a moral problem. But that God the Holy Spirit has given us everything that we need. I wish that Jesus, uh, if I was editing Jesus' sermon, here's what I would say at the end. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And I wish he had added, and you will be with me to the very end. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful that you gave your one and only begotten Son to save this world, to save even we who are in our flesh, we are enemies of God. Oh Lord, lest we look down our nose at the world and its It's suppressing the knowledge of God in truth. May we praise you even now that we have been taken out of that world and placed, transferred, as it were, into the kingdom of your beloved Son. And so, Lord, help us to be winsome, kind-hearted, patient people, for we too were lost and we too were enemies of God. And yet, by your grace, in your time, you are calling in your entire flock unto a new creation in the new heavens and new earth. As we endure this creation, Lord, as we take our pilgrimage, we pray, O Lord, that you would help us to look to this Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That we would not look to our circumstances, that we wouldn't be like so many Pharisees who look down their nose at those who are sinners, but that we would offer grace and we ask that this spirit that, that lives in us would compel us to overcome the deeds of the flesh, that we would walk in the spirit and be instruments of our master. Our desire is to serve him not to act like we get a special deal, that we are greater than our Master, no, but that we 
want to follow in our master's footsteps. We pray for the grace to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.